Genesis chapter 14. Let's begin reading at verse 21, shall we? Let's read. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Anner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their share. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we can share the preaching of your word. And I ask now that you will open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit has for us today, and what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches to you. I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will draw them to a place of repentance. And I pray especially, Lord, for sons and daughters who have walked away from the faith. I ask that you will send the Holy Spirit after them, that you will draw them to a place of repentance, that not one of them will be lost. I pray these things today in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the message I want to bring to you today is one, some of you will perhaps recognize some of the material in this message because it's one that I actually preached a number of years ago. Most of you probably won't because most of you don't remember from one week to the next what I preach, which is okay, which is why I preach it regularly so that it keeps reminding you. But I did bring this, and because of the unusual nature of this message, some of you may remember it. But we have a number of people who have become part of this church over the last number of years who have not heard this. And I think this is of such import and significance that I felt like the Holy Spirit just one more time brought this to my attention for me to bring this to the congregation. And I ask you to especially be here today because this is one of those messages that I, it's, it's sort of foundational. And I want everybody to get this. I want everybody to get in on this. I don't want anybody to be left out. And that's why I ask that specifically. It's not that I'm that great a preacher or that this is that great of a sermon, but it is I want everybody to be on the same page together with this, okay? Those who have been around church, not just this church, but really any church for any length of time, you're no doubt accustomed to seeing people raise their hands as a common expression of worship. We, we did that this morning, I noticed, as we were singing, as we were worshiping, just spontaneously, at times, people would lift their hands. Well, there are many admonitions and instructions and precedents for this particular practice that can be found throughout both the Old and New Testaments. For example, there's the passage in Psalm 134, verses 1 and 2, that was the text for the message last Sunday. 
It's the last of what are called the Psalms of Ascent. And here the word of the Lord gives this instruction. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. In Psalm 28, David is praying and he says in verse 2, Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. The Apostle Paul writes to his young son in the Lord in 1 Timothy 2.8 and says, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Well, that's just three of many examples that illustrate the Lord's instruction about lifting hands. Now, most people have come to accept this practice of lifting hands as just something that we do in worship. But I wonder if you really understand the why, the purpose of lifting your hands in worship. I wonder if you really understand the meaning and the dynamic that takes place when a person lifts his or her hands in prayer and in praise and in worship. Well, one of the reasons for raising your hands in worship is that raising your hands is a sign or a symbol of surrender. It's a universal signal of surrender. You know, I watch a lot of cops and robbers, robbers shows, you know, and the first thing that the, that the officer does is put your hands up. You know, I give up. It, it indicates that you aren't hiding anything. It, there's no duplicity in your action. It's a signal that you, you give up. Raising your hands is also an indication of desire. I watch little children do this all the time. You know, the child comes up to you with hands lifted like this. What does that mean? Pick me up. It's a sign of entreaty. It's a sign of invoking, welcome, come. It's a sign of embracing. Raising your hands is also a sign of identification. How many present today are men? Yeah, we lift our hands, you know. How many Christians are there in the room? It, see, it's a means of identifying. It's a means of calling attention. Here, me, I'm present. Where are the teachers in the house? Let me see, teachers, okay. Do you remember the first day of school and you have a new class and you're calling roll? Please respond and raise your hand so I can know who you are. Identification. I'm here, over here, me, I, I'm identifying. Those are some of the reasons for raising your hand in the natural and the principle carries over into the spiritual. See, when you come into the presence of the Lord during times of celebration and praise and worship, you raise your hands. And in that act, what you are saying to God is, I surrender myself to you. I give up me so that I can embrace you. At the same time, Lord, I entreat. I, I'm open to whatever you have for me. I'm, I'm funneling you, your presence, your power, whatever you have for me. I'm entreating. I'm invoking. I'm identifying with what's going on. I'm identifying with the people of God. My lifted hand is me saying yes to what's happening in this place. You know, you know one of my great delights is people watching. 
I've found that when I'm at an event, I often spend more time watching the people who are watching the event than I do actually watching the event. I love to watch people watching an event. Well, have you ever seen this? It's a sporting event and the home team scores. Yes, what is it? It's a gesture of celebration. I'm telling you today that God has scored the ultimate yes. And I'll raise my hand in identification and celebration of that. I want to raise the standard of God. Raise his banner over the people of God. Raise his banner in the church and in the company of the saints as we lift our hands together to praise and magnify and worship him. Well, those are all part of what it means when you lift your hands in prayer and in worship. But there's another dimension that is so powerful when you begin to understand the revelation of the uplifted hand. The uplifted hand is a means of coming into covenant agreement with the promise of God and the proclamation of his word. Now, one of the best ways to determine what a particular action means is to see what it meant the first time it happened. What was the meaning behind the first, the first time? Well, it's in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, in the verses that form the text for the message today, that you find the first reference in the Bible to the uplifted hand. This chapter, chapter 14 of Genesis, tells the story of what happens after the man we come to know as Abraham has helped to defeat a coalition of kings that carried away his nephew Lot and all of his possessions. You remember that story? It was a group that came and they did battle and, and Lot was carried away and then Abraham got all of his guys together and another coalition and they went out and pursued them, did battle, they defeated them. And in this scene... Now, after that battle is over, Abraham is standing in the presence of a man named Melchizedek, who we come to understand later is a representative of the priesthood of Jesus. And he's standing between Melchizedek on one hand and the king of Sodom, who is a representative of the adversary. And so the king of Sodom says to Abram, whom we come to know as Abraham, he says, Abraham, uh, give, give, just, just give me the people and you can have all of the spoils of the battle for yourself. You won the victory, you take all the spoils. Abraham responds in verses 22 and 23 and says, No, I have sworn to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I'm not going to take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours because I don't want you to say I'm the one that made Abram rich. So I'm not going to take any of these goods. He says, The only thing I want is, you know, the young men have eaten some of it, so obviously we're not going to give that back. And we're just, you know, but the rest of it you just keep for yourself because I don't want you to say that that you made me rich. All right, now, here's where I want you to track with me. When the Bible says, I have sworn, that word sworn literally means, I have lifted up my hand. Now, this is language that would be used in making a legal contract. 
Let me, let me real quick get, get, get some guys up here. Uh, let, me, let me see. Dan, can you help me here? Uh, Tracy, can you, can you help me? Uh, Jaron, would you mind, would you mind, buddy? All right. Um, okay. Yeah, this is good. This is real good. This is good. This is a little scary, but it's good. It's good. It's good. Dan, I want you on this side. If you get you and Tracy swap places. All right. Um, you're Melchizedek. I know you didn't realize that you were signing up for that, but but. Yeah, you're just here to play the guitar this morning, but no, you're, you're now Melchizedek. You are the king of Sodom. You, you knew that was happening, right? <laughs> That's why I specifically wanted you there, so no, I'm playing. And, 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 and you get to be Abraham, all right? So now, here's what's going on. Abraham is standing between the king of Sodom and, between, and Melchizedek, all right? Now, in the ancient Near East, what would happen is when people would make an oath or a contract or a covenant, they would raise their hand. So go ahead and raise your hand there like, like that, okay? And then the person that was making a covenant with him would raise his right hand, and then they would come along and they would actually put their hands together. In, in the, um, the American Indians had something like similar to that where they would cut their hands and, and it, blood brothers kind of a thing, okay? You, you, you're familiar with that. All right. So when two people would make a contract, they would stand across from one another, the right hand to right hand, and they would cut covenant. They would pronounce the blessings that would come as a result of keeping this covenant, and they would also invoke the curses that would happen if they were to break the covenant. So now here's Abraham. Remember, he's not Pentecostal. Okay, he's, he's not Pentecostal. So this idea of lifting hands is not unique to the Pentecostals or the charismatic churches. But Abraham is standing between the representative of the priesthood of Jesus, which is Melchizedek, and the representative of the adversary, which is the king of Sodom. So he's standing between these two guys, and he's got his hand raised to make, I have sworn... I've lifted up my hand before the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. It's a sign of my oath and my covenant. Now, the problem is here, there's nobody to stand on the other side of Abraham to validate this covenant that he's making. So, the king of Sodom is looking on from this side, and Melchizedek's looking on at this side, and they think that Abraham's lost his mind. You can put your hand down. I don't mean for you had to have it. Bless your heart, you, you're, so, you're so good there. Because the only, they think he's lost his mind. Because the only time you lifted your hand to swear an oath was when there was a second contracting party. But Abraham holds up his hands and says, we make binding this oath between me and the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. Even though neither Abraham nor the king of Sodom nor Melchizedek can see it, God responds to Abraham's action of raising his hands. Thanks, guys. You can go have a seat. I, I don't mean to just keep you up here, but, but, but you needed to kind of get a visual of what's going on. Okay, so, so they're raising, he's raising their hands. These guys are looking on like, this is craziness. What's going on? Well, in that chapter, 
And then on into the next chapter, God says to Abraham, 400 years from now, your descendants are going to come back to this land. This is the land I'm promising you. We call it the promised land, okay? He says, but there are several things that are going to have to happen. He says, first of all, the sin of the Amorites isn't complete. He says, in addition, your people, Abraham, are going into captivity, and then they'll come back to this land of promise. All right, now watch this. 400 years pass. We now come to Exodus chapter 6, verse 8. Moses has the task of leading these descendants of Abraham out of the land of captivity to the land of promise. And Moses says to God, look, God, we have a problem. Are y'all doing okay with this? I'm, I'm just, okay. Moses says, God, we've got a problem here. <clears throat> said, these people are slaves. They think like slaves. They act like slaves. They develop traditions that keep them from embracing your promise. So what do we do about this? And God answers Moses and he says, I want you to go tell them, I am the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God says, I'm bringing them into the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And notice, the Hebrew word there, when God says, I swore, is the word which I lifted up my hand concerning. Now, watch this. In Genesis 14, you have Abraham standing in the middle of the wilderness with his hand raised. He's standing with the king of Sodom and, the, and, and King Melchizedek, and they're looking on and wondering what in the world's going on. Well, Abraham is standing right by the king of Sodom. Now, how many of you know that every day you're involved in spiritual warfare? And the opposition is called principalities and powers. Every day you stand before kings of influence in the heavenly realm. So Abraham's standing with his hand lifted, and these kings are looking at him like he's lost his mind. Then in Exodus chapter 6, God refers back to this time. But when he talks about it, he doesn't say, I'm bringing my people into the land I promised on the day Abraham lifted his hand. Instead, God says, I'm bringing them into the land I promised them when I lifted my hand. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Where is Abraham when this is happening? He's on earth. Where is God? For all intents and purposes, he's in heaven, his throne. Abraham, come here, Abraham. Come, come, come up here one more time, please. Come here and face me this time. Abraham extends his right hand and says, Father, I pledge to you and bind myself in covenant to you. Then God says in response, and I loose to you certain benefits inherent with the covenant that you're extending. Abraham's on earth. I get to be God, okay? <laughs> it's my sermon. I get to be who I want to be, all right? God's in heaven. But 400 years later, God says on that day when Abraham thought that he was standing in the middle of nowhere and the king of Sodom thought he had lost his mind and it didn't look like there was anything of significance, anything of value that was going to be accomplished. What I want to tell you, Moses, is this. Go tell the people that the oath and the covenant made by Abraham on that day was not validated by a king of that earthly dimension. But on that day when he lifted his hand in oath and covenant to me... 
I rose from my throne and I reached into his dimension and placed my hand in his. And in that act, I said, what you make binding on earth, I have made binding in heaven. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Now, somebody better fasten your seatbelt and hang on because this is about to get really exciting, okay? You see, most people lift their hands based on tradition or based out of an emotional response. The problem with that is there are promises going by all the time. Remember, the Bible says that it is those who have the faith of Abraham who are the descendants and the heirs of the promise of Abraham. So every believer, don't miss this, every believer has the right and the privilege to be an Abraham. God would say to you who are Abraham's seed, if you're in the midst of a service of worship, and you stand and lift your hand in like manner as Abraham did on that day, and you say in that action, Father, the word that is being proclaimed in the service right now is talking about your provision, and I need to appropriate your provision to my need right now. Or you say, Father, the word that is being proclaimed is talking about your power, and I really need your power to be released in my life today. Or the word is about the grace of God, or the love of God, or or the goodness of God. Whatever the point of promise that is being proclaimed, if you need that and you lift your hand to appropriate that promise, then at that point, God still rises from his throne and says, it's time for us to come into a covenant agreement together. What you make binding there, I'll make binding here. See, see, too often we have a tendency to come into a service where there are promises being proclaimed, and you really need some of those promises to be applied to your life, but you just sit passively and you just watch them go by until maybe halfway or two-thirds of the way through the service, and somebody will sing the right song, or somebody will quote the right verse, or somebody will use the right tone of voice and get you emotionally charged up, and then you respond and you lift your hands. But think about how much you miss when you do that. Instead of recognizing that from the time you walk through the doors, the church is here. And and you have the power as the people of God to make binding those words that will come from our lips. And so with holy hands uplifted, you desire to make binding right here in this place the promises and the blessings of God. And when you do that, there is a God that still says, I see that hand. When you do your part, then I will enter into your realm and I will make those things binding for your life. I'm trying to help you see that the uplifted hand is an interdimensional transaction point. The uplifted hand is an interdimensional transaction point. That is, the uplifted hand is a point where two worlds meet. 
It's a point where temporal meets eternal. It's a point where human meets divine. It's a point where natural meets supernatural. It's a point where you touch heaven and heaven touches you. As if that were not enough, let me show you how powerful this is. There are two places in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16 and chapter 18, where Jesus mentions the church. There's been a lot of confusion about some of these verses, but both places have to do with sort of a legislative concept. This is legal language that Jesus is using in these chapters when he talks about the church. Remember in chapter 16, Jesus asks, who am I? Remember that? And Peter, you remember... After they go through a whole bunch of ideas, Peter answers, Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, good job, Peter. You've done well. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now here Jesus talks about the the clarity and the nearness of the kingdom of heaven. He says in this action, I give you the keys. Now watch this. Those are keys to unlock and to access. Now, are you aware that Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 says that before the foundation of the world, God spoke concerning you? Now, that'll just mess with your mind if you, you just stop and think about that for a while. Before the worlds were ever spoken into existence, before the foundation of the world, God spoke concerning you. Think about that. Before, let there be light. God spoke well concerning you. God was calling your name before he ever said, let there be light. God spoke good things over you before the foundation of the world. I I, I don't know. Did I do that okay? God spoke good things over your life and over your life and over your life and over your life before he ever said, let there be light. Those good things have been circulating all this time. When God gives the revelation of himself, he reveals himself as I am. He is God of right now. He is. He he is. He is in your today. And he is already in your tomorrow. You haven't gotten to tomorrow yet, but God's already there. And he's in your day after tomorrow. You, you haven't even thought about day after tomorrow, but he's already there. And he's in your next year. He, he's already there. And in, and in all those times where God is, he has spoken well concerning you. 
There is nothing that happens to you, regardless of the adversity you're facing. Nothing causes him to fall off his throne and scratch his head and look over to the Son and the Holy Spirit and say, wow, how did we miss that? Can you believe that happened? God is never caught off guard. One of the incredible things about God is he is constantly taking hell's last best shot and redeeming it. He is overruling the decrees that have been spoken against you and the devices that have been fashioned to destroy you. And he's turning those things around to use them for his divine purpose. So the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, God spoke concerning your today and your tomorrow and your next week and your next year. He spoke concerning your beginning and concerning your ending and concerning all the parts in between. And his word toward you is good. Well, now, that's all fine and dandy. But here you are in the midst of something that's not too pleasant. So how do you access all of that goodness that God has spoken concerning you? Well, God says in the language of Matthew 16, what you make binding on earth, now watch this. Here's the, here's the, here's the actual verb form. What you make binding on earth shall be, have been in heaven. In other words, it have been from the foundation of the world, and it shall be when you make it binding. The goodness is already there. It has been ready for you from before the world was formed. And it shall be unto you whenever you make it binding. It's already there. It's just waiting on your participation in the covenant. So let me show you what that means and how that happens. Everybody doing okay? Nobody fell out of the boat yet? All right, good. As you lift your hands to the promises of God, you consciously say, Father, this uplifted hand still carries the same power that it did back when Abraham first lifted his hand. It's a gesture of contract, a gesture of oath, a gesture of covenant, and it still carries the same weight. Now, remember, the gates in the ancient culture of the Near East was the place where the referendums and civil disputes and military strategies took place. The gate was literally, generally like, like the, the gate was generally like the courthouse of today, okay? The elders would meet there and they would make decisions that were binding decisions. The Bible talks about in Matthew 16, the gates of hell not prevailing. So let me ask you, are you aware that there are strategies, counsels, and referendums being laid against your life today by your spiritual adversary? What I'm trying to help you see is that the uplifted hand becomes this interdimensional transaction point, the point where two worlds meet. The uplifted hand in the face of the adversary says, it may look real bad around me right now. 
You may have laid strategies and counsels and referendums against me to try and destroy me, but I'm lifting my hand, and that means I'm about to access something of another world that is not yet in this world. I have an ability to make binding contracts with another world through the power of the uplifted hand. I'm about to pull something across from that side that's been held up there since before the foundation of the world. There's a blessing that's been stored up with my name on it. There's an answer. There's a provision. It has been, but it's about to shall be. Let me take it one more step further, and then I got to quit. Two chapters later, Jesus steps up, and he says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Now, how many of you know that's our favorite Wednesday night's verse? <laughs> when only two or three people show up, you know. <laughs> He says, wherever two or three agree, that word agree is the word from which we get symphony. It means to harmonize. This word agree is also a contractual term. It comes from the rabbinical tradition and is used in making a contract. It means we're agreeing concerning this and we're making a binding contract about it. How many of you have ever bought a car? If you've ever bought a car, you signed on the line and you made binding the fact that you were going to pay for that car. Am I right? Once you made binding the dynamic of that contract, that's when the car was loosed from the parking lot of the dealership and you drove it away. The deal is once the contract is in force, you get to drive the car home. At the same time, you have a payment due each month. You are bound to make payments. If you don't honor that, then the finance company will send somebody to come and loose it from your driveway. <laughs> it's contractual language. Now, here's what happens when we stand together. God says there's a governmental influence of hell that is developing a strategy against your life right now. But you have the power to vote them out. Chapter 18 tells you how many it'll take to vote them out. What is a quorum? What, what's it going to take? It's going to take 1,000, 2,000. Do we need the sanctuary full? Hmm. He says, no, you don't need that many. As a matter of fact, he says, whenever two or three come together and agree, and again, remember, that's the language of contract that's being used. Two or three come together. He says, then I am in the midst you know what God's saying? He's saying, I'm still doing what I did with Abraham. God says, anytime you stand in the midst of adversity, king of Sodom, and you lift your hand to my promise, there may only be two hands that you see. But I'm telling you from another dimension, wherever two or three are gathered, there's one more hand coming in on top of that, making it binding in the heavens. See, too often what we're doing is we're waiting on God. God's waiting on you. He's on his throne saying, I have been. The only shall be factor is on your side. The have been aspect is before the foundation of the world. The shall be is right here, right now. That's the power of the uplifted hand. That's why you lift your hands in worship. It's not about cheerleading you into an emotional response. It's about getting you to come into an agreement, a covenant agreement with the Almighty. It's about setting in motion the fulfillment of a binding covenant. It's about outvoting the powers of darkness that seek to 
kill, steal, and destroy. It's about getting the have been over into the realm of the shall be. Anytime you pray and you need to access the promise and the power of God, you ought to pray with an uplifted hand. Come into agreement with the promise of God. Come into agreement with the power of God. Reach up and pull the supernatural over into the natural. I lift my hand to El Shaddai, Almighty God. I lift my hand to Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. I lift my hand to Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner of victory. I lift my hand to Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace and my wholeness. I lift my hand to Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. I lift my hand to Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord my righteousness. I lift my hand to Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts who fights on my behalf. I want to tell you, when I pray for my loved ones to come to Jesus, I lift my hands to make a binding covenant on earth with heaven for the salvation of my loved ones. When I pray for deliverance, I lift my hands to pull the power of the eternal into the bondage of the temporal. Wherever you need to access the promise and the power of God into your place of need, you just lift your hand, you make a divine connection, and you pull from another world into this world. I'm done preaching. Stand. Come on, stand. My time is up. Pastor Larry, take me to the key of G. I know, I just crash landed this plane so fast nobody can react. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you. Because of who you are, Lord, I worship you because of who you are, Jehovah Jireh. Do you need his provision? My provider, Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you reign in victory. Jehovah Shalom. Somebody needs his peace right now. My Prince of Peace. And I worship you because of who you are. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. My provider. Jehovah Nisi. Lord, you Jehovah Shalom, my Prince of Peace, and I worship you because of who you are. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Just access his touch right now. Because of who you are, I give you praise. 
because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are.